Welcome back to the Core EM Podcast, core content for anyone, anywhere, and just in time. This is the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue EM Residency Program. I'm Anand Swami Nathan. And I'm Jenny Beck Esme. All right, Jenny, what are we going to get into today? Well, I have had quite a few critically ill ICU-bound patients over the last few weeks, most of them having the flu, actually. Um, so I was paging through the critical care section of our CORE-EM to see what I should brush up on, and I came across a post you did back in September on occult causes of non-response to vasopressors, and I thought that would be a great topic for the podcast. Excellent. You know, this is a post that I thought about for a very long time. I kicked over to a couple of friends to give thoughts and advice on how to put it together, but something that I think is really important for us to consider of what do we do when somebody is shocky, we start them on a presser, and then they're still shocky. They didn't respond to what we wanted them to respond to. In the ED, we often have to turn to pressers for hemodynamic support. These medications can boost the patient's blood pressure and improve tissue perfusion. But we always have to remember that the pressors aren't fixing the problem. So while we're reaching for that presser, we need to always be reassessing the patient on and thinking about their underlying problem, the thing that made them hypotensive, and be sure that we're addressing that. And that's really the key to all of this and what we state right up front on the post. The cognitive response to hypotension should not be reaching for a vasopressor, but rather addressing the underlying pathology. The presser simply buys you time while you're figuring things out. If the patient is on a presser at a substantial dose and not improving, this should be the time to take a cognitive pause to consider the reasons for this non-response. Perhaps they're hypotensive due to an obstructive cause like a PE or tamponade rather than the sepsis you initially thought they had. Don't just press on with higher and higher doses of vasopressors without considering the possibility of premature diagnostic closure. I like that phrase, that cognitive pause. Now, in this pause, you mentally go over a list of pathologic causes the patient may have that could be contributing to their continued hemodynamic instability. Now, this is a great list of pathologic causes of non-response to vasopressors. I think we should all have this in our back pockets, so let's review them. All right, so number one is acidosis. In metabolic acidosis, cardiac contractility and cardiac output are reduced and arterial vasodilation develops, which leads to hypotension. Check a blood gas and a basic metabolic panel. If you discover an acidosis, again, you have to focus on treating the underlying cause. What caused the person to become acidemic? Now, what about bicarb, though? Are you giving that? Sodium bicarb is unlikely to be helpful in the long term, but we often end up giving it, and it may be used as a drip to bridge the patient to continuous venovenous hemodialysis, or CVVHD. That might ultimately be what you need to fix that acidemia. So in these patients, you may want to consider an HD catheter and get your renal consult on board for dialysis? Absolutely. Next, consider hypothyroidism. Here we're talking about the patient that may have an unrecognized myxedema coma or severe hypothyroid state. Keep in mind they may be septic as well. So you started correctly on the sepsis pathway, but in this patient the infection tipped them not just into sepsis, but into a myxedema coma. This will likely be a clinical diagnosis based on their history. The classic physical exam that you would think of in a myxedema coma would be a myxedematous face with this generalized puffiness large tongue, ptosis, periorbital edema, and kind of coarse, sparse hair. They may have non-pitting edema of the legs. They may have a goiter or a surgical scar on their neck that would indicate they had a prior thyroidectomy. And a neuro exam will likely reveal altered mental status and decreased deep tendon reflexes. 
honestly, if you're lucky, you'll just see it in their med list that they're on levothyroxine and that'll give you the tip off because sometimes it's really hard to make this diagnosis. Mm -hmm. You're going to send a TSH with reflex T3 and T4, but those labs can take forever and they may be falsely negative in the acutely decompensating patient. The treatment again is going to be levothyroxine and you may decide to just give it empirically based on the patient's history and physical exam without waiting for your confirmatory test. Now, third on our list is anaphylaxis. This one is tricky because we get that classic allergic reaction with the airway compromise and the rash so stuck in our heads, but it's important to remember that anaphylaxis can present as just hypotension. For this, you have to consider the history. So go back, think about the history again. The treatment is going to be epinephrine, epinephrine, epinephrine. If the epi isn't working, you will turn to methylene blue, which inhibits nitric oxide synthase and guanylate cyclase to increase systemic vascular resistance, and lastly to ECMO in really refractory cases. One of the really tricky parts with anaphylaxis is that it may be a result of something you gave the patient. So the patient came in with sepsis, you gave him an antibiotic or some other agent, and now they had anaphylaxis to that. So again, you've got two different causes of shock. Next up is adrenal insufficiency or failure. For this, you will probably need to return to your history as well. Think about this in patients who have a known primary adrenal insufficiency, pituitary disease, or recent or current prolonged steroid use, like in patients with asthma or COPD, as well as patients who have autoimmune diseases. Now, labs may give you a clue if they have the classic hyperkalemia with hyponatremia on their basic metabolic. You can also send a cortisol level, which may be depressed, but I'm not sure that's going to be super helpful in the ED. I don't even have any idea how long that takes to come back. So again, empiric treatment may be required, and we treat this with stress dose steroids, so hydrocortisone 1 to 200 milligrams IV. Now, Swami, do you have a practice pattern for when to throw in those stress dose steroids? Like if you're starting a second presser, just go ahead and give the steroids just in case. I wish there was a clean answer to this. And you're really talking about in sepsis patients where we have gone back and forth about when to give steroids, whether we should give steroids, how much steroids to give. In a septic patient, if I'm on high doses of pressure and I'm looking at something like 15 to 20 mics of norepinephrine or 25 plus mics of epinephrine per minute, or if I'm adding a second presser, so if I'm adding vasopressin to that, I'm probably going to add steroids. There's some new research on this topic specifically in the area of sepsis, and that's going to be available soon, and we'll bring that to the podcast to discuss. Okay, next thing to consider in the patient not responding to vasopressors is hypocalcemia. Luckily, this one is a little easier. You can get some tests rather than relying on your history and empiric and just empirically treating. So check an ionized calcium level and get an EKG to look at the QTC, remembering that hypocalcemia can lead to a prolonged QTC. Treatment is with IV calcium chloride or calcium gluconate. Remember to consider occult and ongoing blood loss and be sure to consider sources you can't readily see like the GI bleed or the retroperitoneal bleed. Get your surgical or IR consultants on board in these patients, reverse their anticoagulation, and transfuse as needed to buy yourself time to locate and treat the bleeding. Okay, next up, think of toxicologic causes. Consider beta blocker overdose, calcium channel blocker overdose, TCA overdose, or any sodium channel blocker. Here, you may have to turn to your history if possible and check your EKG for that hallmark terminal R wave in AVR for a TCA overdose. Treatment would be individualized to the suspected overdose, but would include bicarb for TCA overdose and probably hyperinsulinemia euglycemia therapy for beta blocker or calcium channel blocker overdose and potentially ECMO. 
And you reviewed hyperinsulinemia, euglycemia therapy a while back on the Corey M post. So people can check that out. And beta blockers and calcium channel blockers, if you don't get a good history from the patient, if you see bradycardia and hypotension, these are things you should suspect. That's an odd combination. And toxic overdoses are one of the common causes of that combination of vital signs. Our last thing to consider is the possibility of a second cause of shock, just like we referred earlier with anaphylaxis. So they had septic shock, and now I gave him a drug which caused anaphylaxis. Hickam's dictum states that a man can have as many diseases as he damn well pleases. This is the opposite of Occam's razor. So your patient with shock can have both sepsis and hypothyroidism. They can have sepsis and blood loss. They can have sepsis and hypocalcemia. So we have to consider that it's not just one thing in front of us. Make sure to evaluate for that second cause of shock. One thing I recommend adding to all of these workups is a rush exam, the rapid ultrasound for shock and hypotension. It can be really helpful in figuring all of this out, and we'll drop a link in the show notes of how to do the rush exam. Now, that was a bit of a whirlwind through some major causes of vasopressor non-response. Jenny, can you wrap this up a little bit in a review? First, make sure you're always treating the patient's underlying condition that's causing the hypotension, not just throwing more and more pressors at them. And second, if the patient fails to respond to the pressors as you expect, take a cognitive pause to consider alternative causes and therapeutics. At that time, run down this mental list of commonly missed problems. First, acidosis. Second, hypothyroid. Third, anaphylaxis. Fourth, adrenal insufficiency. Fifth, hypocalcemia. Sixth, occult bleeding. Seventh, toxicologic causes. And eight, make sure to always think of a secondary cause of shock. They can have more than one. Excellent. And that last one, the secondary cause of shock, kind of involves all the things that we didn't mention specifically because there are other causes. And some people have written in when we put this post together about other things that we should think about. And we welcome more of that. And we'll update this post as you guys send those in. That's all for the Corium podcast this week. Come on over and check out the site at coreym.net. We've got a ton of great core content emergency medicine. We'll have a core post up on Wednesday and a journal update up on Thursday. Don't forget to check out our Facebook page, follow us on Google Plus, and on Twitter where our handle is at core underscore EM. Thanks, and see you all next week. <laughs>